Hey, everybody, this is Mark Levine, and you are listening to the NYC Real Estate Podcast. Uh, today, we've got a great guest, a uh, great attorney that I've dealt with. But before we introduce you, Jeff, I'll give you a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, a name drop there before we do. I just want to remind everybody that uh, you can email the show at nycpodcast.gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. And we are uh, consistently doing episodes, even while we're all working remote and we're doing this through Zoom. And we'll throw this up onto our YouTube channel as well, which the link will be in the description of the audio. Again, I'm Mark Levine. I'm from uh, New York City Property Management Firm, EBMG. And uh, let's get talking. So Jeff Schwartz, welcome. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you having me. So you are with Schwartz, Slavkus, Reich, Greenberg, Atlas, LOP. I am. That's yes. a mouthful. So tell me, uh, before we get into our topics, and we wanted to cover a lot of COVID items, as we've all been talking about, um, do you want to give us a quick rundown on uh, your experience and you know, how you got into real estate law? And you know, just give us a, a background for everybody that doesn't know you. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I've been practicing uh, real estate law since 1986. I can't believe how long it's been already. Wow. This is certainly a unique timing, unique situation. Can't say I've ever had it before. I don't think any of us ever had, have. Um, but, um, you know, my focus really has been on the co-op condo world uh, since 1989. And um, about five years ago, my partners and I started our own firm and uh, with a heavy emphasis on the co-op and condo work. We've really seen, you know, all aspects uh, of that area, know it very well, have a good group of people who are practicing and who have a tremendous amount of experience. Um, while at the same time, we still do other types, of, a lot of other types of real estate transactional work. But certainly in the last three months, as we practice from wherever we may be, uh, in whatever state we may be in, unshaven a little bit, <laughs> probably, needing, probably needing a haircut, but, um, we need hair and makeup. Yeah. But have definitely, uh, been encountered with things that we never thought we would and certainly doing all we can to try to give our co-op and condo clients the best legal and practical advice. Yeah. And, tried to get things out there and stay ahead of things uh, as they develop, whether it be through, you know, the different orders by Governor Cuomo, whether it be CDC advice, uh, OSHA things. And uh, certainly there are a number of topics that are at the forefront in the co-op condo world. And, you know, as we discussed, let's talk about a few. Yeah. And we're in this bubble of real estate you know, in the city and the city, the state, the federal, they're all opening up at different times and there's different programs. Um, one thing that we came across really early on in this was the payroll protection program. Um, there was a lot of questions on would co-op and condo buildings be eligible for the program? I know as a small business, you know, that's something as a management company or as an attorney, you know, a legal firm, you have options that are maybe not available to the co-op and condo world. So do you want to walk us through what you're seeing with the payroll protection program? Yeah, sure. Um, the, you know, the PPP program, when it came out, it emphasized or the, the, the uh, handouts emphasized that it was obviously being run through SBA 
that it was going to be quite permissive and try to include as many um, small businesses as possible. But when co-ops and condos started asking whether or not they were eligible, the SBA guidelines, when examined, uh, had specific exclusions for co-ops and condos. So although the program was first rolled out with this whole permissive type of inclusionary language, the guidelines clearly had specific language that did not make co-ops and condos eligible. So of course, many questions started to roll in. And what we started seeing, of course, is some co-ops and condos applying with uh, an addendum to their application where they specified that it was unclear whether they were eligible, so they were putting in the application anyway. Some co-ops and condos felt it wasn't appropriate for them to apply, uh, so they didn't for whether it be that there wasn't real economic uncertainty, which is a certification that had to be made, uh, or that specifically they weren't eligible. So many did not apply. Um, what if a building, now I know in Miami there was, I think it was on Star Island, which is a, a private island that the HOA there voted, I think they were eligible for like $1.2 million in PPP. And they actually voted it down because they thought, you know, that money could go maybe be better served elsewhere. It's probably one of the highest concentration of wealth, you know, in, in, the, in the South and, you know, in, in Florida. But for those buildings that, let's say a co-op did apply for it, it was unclear at the time because it was, it was the logjam, you know, in the very first few days, it was just get in the application because we don't know if we're going to be eligible. Um, and then things kind of jammed up there a little bit and there was maybe a little bit more clarity, but in the sense of a building that applied for it as a co-op and then got financing, what, what would you recommend in a legal sense from them? Now that we know there's a carve out for co-op and condo not being eligible for it, is it an issue that maybe that could come back to bite them if they Well, I think, I think anyone who did, any co-ops and condos that did apply and were given the loan, uh, their downside I believe would be just having to pay the loan back. Um, right. I, don't, I, I think that all the applications by co-ops and condos that were submitted, notwithstanding the specific language, were made in good faith. And as a matter of fact, the SBA came out with a guideline uh, about a week and a half ago stating that the certification would be deemed to be made in good faith for all loans under $2 million um, and that they wouldn't be auditing them. I, you know, I think there's a little bit of a, of a disconnect between the certification as to economic uncertainty and the certification as to eligibility. But I certainly uh, think that the officers of co-ops and condos who made the certification and submitted it we're clearly doing it in good faith and not in for any devious or, you know, right. uh, means to get something that they were not entitled to. And I do think that downside is paying back the loan. Certainly I, I can't even envision a possibility of, you know, fines or imprisonment. I, I think that's right. way out there. 
I also know, and you know, I have been um, involved in discussions, and and I've heard um, actually in a in a podcast, not a podcast, in a I don't even know what to call these things these days, <laughs> but in a informational session that I listened in on with Chuck Schumer, who did tell us a lot about what's going on right now and his efforts to pass some new legislation that would specifically cover co-ops and condos. And that is certainly out there on the table right now and being considered. And he's very bullish that it will get through. So hopefully that new legislation will get through. Um, he said that it will clearly cover co-ops and in, not condos, but there would be another program that would cover what he called homeowners that would include condominium owners. Nice. So, you know, there's some positive news that's on the horizon and hopefully that will, we'll know about that fairly soon. You know, I do think that, and this kind of dovetails into something that you and I were talking about, um, you know, many co-ops and condos feel that perhaps it would be inappropriate for them to get the PPP loan because the money should be directed really at other or small businesses that are having difficulty really maintaining their employees because, of course, they've lost all their revenues. Right. You know, my experience has been that the level of non-payments um, by owners in co-ops and condos has not been anywhere close to what some of our rental, our building owners are seeing, and certainly not in the commercial field, you know, that the shareholders and unit owners in co-ops and condos respectively, for the most part, are paying their maintenance or paying their common charges because, yeah. you, know, you know, as opposed to renters who, are, who maybe aren't, aren't doing so. Right. Has that been your, has that been your experience? In the yeah, building? I've been watching the arrears reports on my, especially on my co-ops. And we manage probably about, I don't know, 50 or 60 co-ops at this point. But nothing is extremely out of the ordinary for um, that. And this is kind of hitting the time right now where a lot of the buildings are doing assessments for the abatements. So it's kind of like a one-two punch. You know, we put out the, the co-op abatements and the STAR and the veterans disability. And then at the same time, they're running an assessment to counteract the out-of-pocket expense. And for those people that maybe don't have the benefit of the abatement, maybe they're a sponsor. I've even seen, this is actually a good point. I've seen buildings that have been very adverse to sponsors, uh, just mentally, you know, just going from the mental, they're the sponsor, they're maybe not so much the the evil party, but not seeing it in the same way as just the shareholder that lives there. But they've actually been granting extensions for those abatement, uh, for those assessments rather. So instead of a one-time shot, recognizing that maybe the renter in the sponsor's apartment is having financial difficulties, maybe the sponsor is having financial difficulties. So instead of paying this assessment up front in one shot, we're going to be nice and we're going to extend it over you know, the rest of the year so that there's maybe a little bit more breathing room. So I'm seeing that there's concessions being made um, from that level. And it's been very helpful in not only just the financial uh, health, we don't want to get into a complete arrear situation, but it's been also helpful for the relationships between the buildings and the sponsors where there may have been that issue before. Yeah. You know, on the flip side of that, I'm just wondering and just talking out loud, I don't know if you've seen this also, 
But I think, you know, yes, when these real estate tax abatements come through and they, many of the boards enact assessments to equal those or really so that no cash or no credit is really given to the shareholders. You know, I think I actually had two calls on this where the boards in these times are perhaps saying, you know, maybe this year we shouldn't do that. And maybe we should give everybody the credit if that's financially possible. It Again. could be a good tool for buildings to, you know, show that they're being sensitive to the economic times. And maybe this year they don't have to do the assessment. Just something really uh, to consider. Yeah, it is a budget buster. Yeah. When you when you look at it on a small building, you could, you could very well have a sixty to eighty to one hundred thousand dollar credit that you have to give out on the abatement. So you are kind of handcuffing the corporation if you don't um, do the assessment for it. But that's not to say that you maybe could just breeze by the first three months without assessing back and then look at it in September or October and say, right. yeah, partial, doing it partially. Yeah. I think in these times, certainly being sensitive to the issues goes a long way and, and being insensitive to them is, you know, not something that, that goes over well with the shareholders. Now, of course, people are using COVID for sometimes, you know, excuses for things that really aren't the case. And, and that goes, that gets, I think, works against them too. But I think, you know, being sensitive to it up front and, and giving a little bit of leeway is something that can buy boards a lot of goodwill. Yeah. And we're all in this boat together. The boards yeah. are people, they're shareholders, the unit owners, they're dealing with the same financial constrictions and constraints that everybody else is dealing with. So if, you know, if they're feeling it, it's everybody. It's not. Right. And, and dealing with all these new problems that they've never experienced and certainly, you know, don't have training for. We, you know, board members obviously work for free and doing, are doing this even before COVID with very little recognition. Now to pile this all on, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So going in that direction, um, things are changing the way that we operate, buildings are changing. In terms of um, building rules and restrictions that we've seen in the, in the uh, I want to say the marketplace, but it is kind of what it is. But no visitors, work is stopped, essential work is uh, the only thing that's going on. And typically that's not really like painting your apartment. So we're not really letting deliveries in that are not emergency. We're not letting uh, workers in that are not an emergency basis. What And we both have our own set of experience with dealing with this. You look at it from more of a legal perspective. I look, I look at it more from a practical uh, perspective and then rely on people like you to go, is this a sound advice based on my initial thought? You know, What are you seeing and what are your um, kind of tips for buildings right now? And we're taping this on May 28th. So the city is still essentially shut down yeah we're not not in anything other than essential construction right now so what are your tips on visitors and restrictions in buildings yeah i mean it's you know obviously this has been a a kind of developing story i kind of look at it like a clock you know at at zero hour or 12 o'clock when this whole first thing started to happen the biggest issues were you know we have somebody in the building that has covid do we tell everybody we have an employee in the building do we tell everybody 
And of course, our advice has always been, you can't give out first names, but certainly tell people that there is someone in the building tested positive, be careful, we're gonna sanitize and do all that. On the, on the visitor front, of course, initially it was no visitors, no move-ins, no, you know, nobody coming into the building and you know, really locking down. Um, as we've developed, we're seeing you know, some lightening of those rules. As you said, in New York City, we're still in a shutdown mode. But what I am starting to see is boards becoming a little bit more lenient, recognizing that, you know, at some point we've, we've got to hopefully get back to some sort of normalcy. So, yeah. you know, in terms of moving in and moving out, you know, when, when Cuomo came out and said that um, movers were essential services, many of the buildings that we represent started to again allow move-ins and move-outs. Some didn't, honestly, but, but many did. And they did so with very specific rules and regulations governing the moving in and moving out, you know, trying to designate certain of days, certain times, limiting the number of move in and move outs, trying to devote a specific corridor in the building, you know, whether it be a back entrance in a service elevator or, you know, some area that was roped off for yeah. the movers to come in and out. And of course, sanitizing when, when it's all done and, 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 you know, taking care of that that way. Um, I'm just going on my computer because I had pulled something up for us to talk about. And of course, I got logged out. So <laughs> I mean to be rude by typing while I'm, but so now though, you know, a lot of buildings are saying, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to allow, like you said, we got to allow people to get repairmen in to fix the washer and dryer, to fix the appliances, to handle a leak, and how do we do so in a safe way? And, you know, we're putting together rules for buildings to distribute, which provide for just some guidelines so that, you know, they can do that. So, for instance, you know, of course, the construction, renovation, decorating, you know, that type of work is still on hold. But if it's essential and it's a repair that's required, and I'm looking up at my screen now, what we've been doing is, you know, requiring that the company that's going to come in, make a repair at least two days in advance, not having more than one, depending on the size of the building, one or two people in the building at the same time. Um, certainly uh, upon arriving at the building, of course, wearing a mask and gloves, making sure all the insurance requirements are set, making sure that that repair person is the only person in the elevator going up and down, um, no loitering in the lobby, um, that type of thing. Uh, the, you know, I guess, and then whatever other building specific issues relate to uh, that person coming in, you know, if there's, an, if there's an elevator operator, that elevator operator may not feel comfortable riding with it. So we got to right. take that down too. But, you know, we've given them rules that kind of this interim period would allow for these types of things. I think, you know, then, then you start to think about, and we're all starting to think about what are going to be the rules when we quote open up yeah. And what is opening up going to look like? 
I have a feeling it's going to be the city saying we're good to go, but it's going to be the building saying, whoa, we need to like slowly slide in and get our footing. We need to make sure that everybody's protected. We need to do this because I can only imagine that everybody I'm seeing it now, like I'm getting a lot of, um, or my, my staff is as well, getting a lot of, we're looking to do this work in the apartment as soon as the city lifts its restrictions. Here's my application. So if you times that by, even if you times that by four in any given building, it's a headache because it's not the headache that's the paperwork is the headache. It's the people coming in. It's the noise. It's, you know, the, the, the random uh, companies that you have to account for. It's now we're dealing with this COVID issue. Now you have to perhaps uh, clean and sanitize and make sure that everything is done in a different way. So I think what you're probably getting to is like, what's the proper procedure for opening it up. Even if you're allowed to legally, it doesn't always make the best sense to just throw it, you know, the gates wide open. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, even with my own company and I'm sure you're seeing with your own company, you know, day one, if, if things open up on June 15th with which frankly, I don't think they will. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't mean to be, bearish on this uh, you know as my kids have been saying i've been saying all along of course when this first started oh yeah we'll be back to work on you know april 15th and <laughs> every every week or so that date gets pushed back yeah but and you know for my own office i don't see you know if we open up on july 1 it's not like on july 2 i'm going to expect everybody back in the office right I mean, there's so many variables that we're dealing with in my own office with childcare, with people that have people with uh, underlying health conditions at home, so they don't feel comfortable. And then there's just the people that um, we're coordinating. We don't have an open bullpen where we are. Everybody has their own office, or there's a few people that share an office. So now we're coordinating to get those people that share an office. How do we get them separated? You know, how do we move them to another office that may be open or? I'm We're not doing, in the, doing the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a logistical nightmare, but at the end of the day, I would a thousand times over rather have a logistical nightmare than one person gets sick. And then, you know, they experience some sort of sickness or they bring it home or they bring it to us. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. It's just a new way of thinking. I mean, all the social media companies are basically saying we're done uh, with the office. If you want to have, if you want to work remote, you could do that. And yeah. I don't know how realistic that is in our field because there are certain people that do need to be there, you know, in the office at certain times, but we're seeing a seismic shift. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people that I've been talking to, especially I, I have three daughters, two of whom are in the workforce and you know, their friends and many of the companies that they work for are telling their people, look, we're not coming back until January 1, 2021. Wow. Uh, Maybe we're opening up our office earlier, but if you want to work from home, you go ahead and do so. You know, I think a lot of that depends on the business. And, you know, for me personally, I've always been very bullish on everybody being in the office. And because um, I think you're much more efficient. I think it enables you to solve problems quicker, but we're going to have to adapt. So for buildings, I, you know, once we open up, it's there's going to be a week or two, I think, where they're not going to do anything and they're going to see how things develop Yeah, and, and it's going to be slow after that. It's probably good that it's, this is all happening. You know, this hopefully is happening in the summertime 
right. when a lot of people, you know, where some people may not be in the buildings, maybe the buildings are a little bit, um, you know, not as fully occupied, maybe not as many people are doing construction, but you're right. I mean, you're not going to be able to open up and say, okay, you four people can all start your construction project. Yeah. There's going to have to be some give and take on that. There's going to have to be rules being developed so that everybody gets treated equally. Um, and they're going to have to be new rules developed. You know, every yeah. building, whether it's a co-op or a condo has a set of house rules and those house rules don't contemplate a pandemic and no. the after effects of a pandemic. So many buildings are considering now revising their house rules to take into consideration the immediate opening up and the future if this happens again. So we don't get in the situation where if this does happen again, God forbid, that you know we are getting hundreds of calls saying, well, can we have our annual meetings by Zoom, even though our bylaws don't say that we're allowed to do so. So you know that's, a, that's again, another thing that we're doing, I'm sure you're seeing, and is you know in the future, at some point, amending the bylaws to allow for this stuff. Yeah. I am seeing, and, and this is actually not something that you and I kind of mentioned before, but it, it raises in my mind, you know, and, and you mentioned actually that you were going to some virtual meetings and some buildings are saying, well, how can we have a virtual annual meeting when our bylaws don't provide for it? And frankly, my advice has been, look, you know, this is a very unique situation. And even though it doesn't specifically say you can have a virtual meeting and might even say specifically you're supposed to attend, you know, in person or in proxy, right. I think the choice between you know, not having anything at all or, or you know, having the virtual meeting. Uh, and I think it's very, very acceptable to go ahead and have that meeting virtually. And, you know, the intent is to, to have this, to, to go ahead and do it. And by doing, by having the virtual meeting, you are really following through on the intent of the bylaws. I so. think in 2019, there was a New York state law that came out that allowed um, businesses to hold um, electronic annual meetings, right? By default. Yeah. yeah. So long as uh, you could verify that the person who is attending is the person that was intended, there was some language and I forget what it was, but I feel like the New York business law well, the, the, the BCL definitely was amended to allow that for director meetings. Right. Uh, whether it was for owner meetings, I do not think so, but I could be mistaken. We'll have to yeah. follow another podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that it rang the bell, you know, it rang a bell. Um, yeah, so I have done. I mean, I'm doing every day we're doing board meetings virtually. That, that's yeah. a given. Yeah. Um, minutes are taken. Minutes are approved at the next board meeting. So, I mean, it's business as usual with that. But the, the big swing for us has been the annual meetings on Zoom, which is what we're taping this on now. And um, I did my first one for a building last week or the week before and it was actually pretty easy um we had everybody change their name on their uh on the zoom display to have either their apartment number or their name so that we could check off attendance even the phone numbers that we had i was running it as the host so i i had the capability to rename everybody and mute right. everybody and 
do all that. So I was renaming people that I saw and I could, you know, recognize so that the board could do that. And then they did the whole, um, they didn't do the voting on the Zoom. They sent out all of the ballots and they gave everybody until such and such time to, you know, send in the ballots. And, you know, that's, I think, the workaround. But it, I'm very interested to see if this is the new future because I can't see a world in the next year at all until there's a vaccine and everybody's had it. I can't imagine where people are going to want to put themselves in a situation where they're going to possibly get sick because they wanted to get together with their neighbors and have an annual meeting to vote on. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's the risk, risk reward scenario. And I don't know if this is that, like, I can understand I need to go to this funeral or I need to go to this family event. that's really important, but to go to a board meeting or an annual meeting or to hear the accountant talk, these are all things that we could do here. We could even prepackage them and, and record them on the computer and send that out. I mean, it doesn't even have to be live unless there's a voting component to it. I yeah, mean, no, I agree. I mean, cramming into a basement is not something I see in the very near future. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest part about it is, and, and you know as well as I, that if you go to annual meetings on a regular basis, and certainly we've been doing it, both of us, for many years, the number one complaint that you hear at every annual, at annual meetings is that the board is not communicating uh, well enough with the shareholders or unit owners. And having the virtual meetings, especially in large buildings, it's very difficult to allow for questions and you know, yeah. do all that. I mean, so I think that is something that is going to have to be dealt with, whether it means people should be submitting their questions ahead of time, um, and, and answered that way, people should be, I guess, if we do the virtual meetings and the, the attendance is not that large, you could have questions going on during the meeting. Right. But it becomes very difficult to manage. Yeah. Somebody's got to be like how I was doing on right. that meeting. Somebody's got to be the host in terms of parsing all this data and then passing that off to the board who's running the meeting, perhaps. Um, voting could work. Uh, I think we're going to do voting online and the way that we're going to do it is we're going to create a Google form and it's going to be pre-set up. So you put in your name, you put in your apartment, your email address, the people that you're voting for, but we're going to randomly generate codes, send those beforehand out to each shareholder. And then you have to, as the shareholder who has your unique code, have to put in your code. And if they match then we're going to match up that vote to that shareholder and it'll be you know, a valid vote. Right. That's so. a process I've seen yeah, working. I think also the, the candidacy process will change somewhat, maybe get better, actually, to tell you the truth. I mean, if, you know, many buildings, of course, will solicit interest from, from owners, whether they want to run up for the board or not, we'll put a deadline for that submission and then have a, some sort of candidate Zoom call where each candidate gives to, you know, gets to present and then have the voting like you described afterwards. I think if, if this continues, the concept of nominating people from the floor on the night, on the day of this Zoom meeting will be very yeah, difficult to do. Yeah, and you yeah. know, I, I said something about recording before, but that would be a perfect scenario for recording. You just get all the candidates together, do a quick Zoom, three minutes on why I wanna run for the board, package it, send it out as a link to everybody to view and you're done with it. You know, there's no yeah. questions and answers from the floor. It's just, here's, here's who I am. Here's why I'm interested in running for the board. Please vote for me. Um, people could, people could uh, watch it at, at the le leisure, of course. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, the, the possibility of these types of meetings you know, changes things a little bit, I would think for you as well. I mean, managers maybe don't have to be at meetings all through the night and, you know, maybe there's a way to do it where, you know, that's always been in my, what my experience, both for lawyers and for managers, you know, having to spend so many nights at these meetings, if you're going to do things virtually, maybe it becomes easier to do them at more convenient times. You know, Not that I recommend it at all. And I'm not asking for more of them, but if I'm like now, cause we're all in this home confinement situation and somebody says, Hey, can we get on a quick like zoom at like one o'clock on a Sunday? I'm not doing anything else. Like, okay, yeah. you know, fine. Yeah. Let's get half hour here. And it's done instead of a three hour trip to go to the building and sit in the meeting and then go back home. And, uh, of course, I even played with the prospect in the future of saying, you know, with this whole digital world, like maybe we have one price if you want to do Zoom meetings and then it's a 20% upgrade, you know, if you want to do in person. And maybe there is a leverage button that we could hit where it's just, okay, we can save you money and we could all work a little bit more efficiently. We don't need to be in the same room. Maybe that will work because every time, just like you, you know, when you're out there, you could... When you're traveling, that's not really the best use of your time. So I would be willing to take a haircut and to maybe use that to go into, you know, maybe new clients or doing the extra work that I needed to for this client that now I can't do because I'm stuck, you know, on the, on the BQA or I'm on the six train, like, well, not anymore, but (laughs) I don't think I'm going on the six train for a very long time. Um, Yeah, but these are the things that we have to play with. And these are half half business, half real estate, you know? And, you know, not all negative, too. I mean, let's, you know, obviously, I think, you know, what I've been trying to keep and and stay positive with all the people that work for us is, yes, this has been very difficult. But, you know, let's try to take some positives from this. And maybe some things will change for the positive. and, And once we get the vaccine, some of these positive things will stay with us. I had, I had sent out a, a question to um, all the people that work in our office, uh, you know, what COVID, what things that we're doing during COVID are going to remain with us forever. And, you know, every time you go, as you go through the day, and you think about that question, you come across so many things like that, you know, may not have occurred to you before, but that will occur to you as you're doing them. And it's, it's interesting. And yeah. Yeah. It's a learning experience. It is. It is. That's for sure. And yep. I'll never forget my kids, your kids, they'll never forget. It's, it's as big as 9-11 when I was 20 or it was 2000, so I was 23. That's one of those every generation moments that just sears in your mind forever. And you know it exactly is. what you were doing, where you were, who you were with. But this sure. is just a long, slow burn of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, this has been a lot different. I think, obviously, you know, 9-11 was horrific and terrible. Yeah. But, you know, after a month or so, we were back and we were back in our office. And, and, right. You know, it wasn't business as usual. Our lives change. Our lives change. But the day-to-day didn't change. Um, the The this... I think, you know, has obviously we've been at it for now three months and it's going to have everlasting changes going forward. You know, some good, some bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all changed. So how can people get in touch with you um, directly? 
Email's always the best, jschwartz at ssrga.com. You can always call me on my cell phone. I'm happy to give it out now, 914-450-6280. Um, and, uh, you know, again, thanks for having me. This was great. I enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, same. So let me tell everybody before they go off again, it's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. And Jeff, I'm going to put all of your contact info also in the description of the podcast and the videos so people will be able to get in touch with you um, directly through there, just probably by pressing the link for the email address. Um, but it was great having you. I'm sure that you'll be back and we'll talk about other stuff, hopefully non-COVID related. Uh, love to. <laughs> all right.